Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Shaykh Abdullah and I have been having some issues. Um, I've been, I, I was, I told him I really wanted what he's wearing. I know he sports it better than I ever would, but, but man, mashallah, I, I want, I want one, you know, like I, I'm just saying I want one. Um, so, but anyway, we were, we were having an argument. So we decided to bring a counselor. Sister Sada to help us out. Uh, we're almost at the the home stretch of Ramadan. It's twenty fifth. We're almost there, and we just want to make sure we don't we don't get into it prior to to Eid. Uh, so welcome to the welcome to the show, Sister Sada. Uh, alhamdulillah. On a serious note, Sister Sada is no stranger. Alhamdulillah to anyone that follows Yaqeen's work. Um, in fact, in the comment section. We had several episodes where when are you bringing Sister Sada Sultan? So it's at a point now where there's protest if you don't show up. Uh, Alhamdulillah is one of the authors of the trauma collection and and, and so many other good works. Alhamdulillah is a regular on so much of our programs uh, with very beneficial insights. So welcome back, uh, Sister Sada. Jazakallah khairan. I've been so enjoying following Quran 30 for 30 this uh, this Ramadan. Alhamdulillah, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here. Alhamdulillah. Barakallah fiki. So we had a, a correction session that we're going to do right now. I'm going to correct myself. And Sheikh Abdullah wanted to, he asked, he said he wanted to correct himself on a serious note from a previous episode. But I'm going to start, um, and it, it fits perfectly from the meeting Muhammad Salaam series. So just so everyone knows, what I'm planning to do this year, inshallah, is that after the series is over, after Eid, the week after, inshallah, probably, I'll do a, you know, Q&A, clarifications, certain things, you know, in the episode that maybe need a little bit more elaboration. So I'll do like maybe one session, inshallah. But one of them that's going to come up, um, Sister Sara, uh, Egyptian background, what do you call milk in Arabi? Leban. Leban, yeah. I'm see. only half Egyptian, but Leban. Half Egyptian, that's right. So the half Egyptian <laughs> side of you says Leban, mm -hmm. which is one of the times that Fusha actually lines up with Masri, uh, Lahja. So like the Fusha actually lines up with the Egyptian dialect here. So... For those of you that are not familiar with the Shami dialect, the, the Palestinians in the Sham call milk halib and Leban is yogurt. So I keep on messing up and I hear it myself when I'm listening to an episode and I, I'm calling Leban yogurt drink. Uh, so if you're hearing me say yogurt drink, it's not literally that container of Leban. Leban is milk and I messed up and I will do a clarification session. So I had to get that off of my chest. Uh, the Muslims are right. Leban is milk. It's not yogurt drink. That's a Shami intervention innovation. Though, from the drinks of the Prophet So I asked one of my teachers, I said, man, like, what do I do? He said, well, the Prophet you know, they used to do a milk-based drink. So it was Leban per se, but but sometimes it often truly was like a Lebanish, a milk drink type, yogurt drink type. But anyway, that's an excuse. I'll have to correct it, inshallah. So from now on, if I mess up and I say Leban as yogurt drink, uh, you can correct me, inshallah ta'ala. It is milk, and the Muslims are right, and I admit my uh, my fault in that regard. So um, all the Egyptians should feel vindicated now about their their, their dialect. We do, um, we do. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sheikh Abdullah, on a serious note, you you had you said right before we got started that you wanted to talk about something uh, just in the previous episode. You just wanted to make a slight correction. Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah uh, Khair. Um, it, it was a uh, speaking about Prophet Yunus alayhi salam. I think it was a session. That we have with Sister Aisha Prime, may Allah preserve her. Uh, I translated a portion of a verse, and the translation was incorrect because it could imply something that is not befitting when it comes to the understanding of the prophets. 
when I was talking about the Prophet Yunus in the chapter of Safat, I used another verse as well to speak about the Prophet Yunus when he was leaving his people. And I used a verse in the chapter of Anbiya where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, uh, you know, Yunus, he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and the, the, the companion of the, the fish, when he left off angrily. But then I translated and I said, and he thought that Allah would not overpower him, right? That's an incorrect translation. It's incorrect. Right? Because Qadr, as Imam Shir has been translated, you know, by Laylatul Qadr and the, the, the examples, it has a number, number of meanings, but none of them could really be, uh, in this particular context, overpower, because it's not befitting for a prophet to think that God would not overpower him. Rather, it was when he left angrily, he thought that he did, he fulfilled his mission, right? He didn't think that anything would happen to him in regards to uh, not fulfilling the mission. But it was never that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he thought that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not overpower him. That would ne that's never becoming of a prophet. And that is not what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would predestine. So just wanted to correct that translation when it comes to naqdir alayhi. It's rather, uh, didn't think that there would not be any decree upon him, right? He thought that he fulfilled his mission. And I'm not going to say who, but, but one of the mashayikh texted you and then you said, I really want to. So alhamdulillah, uh, I think there is something on a light note, alhamdulillah, which is that uh, every time someone comes on Quran 30 for 30, we've noticed, alhamdulillah, that even within our own yaqeen community, alhamdulillah, the, the, the scholars and teachers have been following. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all of them uh, that are watching and that are uh, keeping us on our uh, on our toes, inshallah ta'ala, to make sure we are, uh, you know, delivering to the best of our ability. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah, for uh, wanting to... Uh, uh, to share that, inshallah, for the record. Oh, wait, just, you had one more. One, one other mistake. No, I'm just, I'm just no, but, uh, <laughs> no, no. And, and, and just for the record, that's why I think, mashallah, all of you that are in organizations, Islamic organizations, or any kind of teamwork, you know, this tanasa is, is, is very, very important, you know. And those of you that may be giving comments and giving advice, you know, subhanAllah, you know, mashallah, it's red, you know, with the, with the team again. And that's the word I want to capitalize on is the team. The presence is felt, mashallah, when you have people that look out for each other and they give the advice. And that's something that is very, very important as Muslims in general. But if you're working together for a common cause, don't ever hesitate to give advice to your brother or sister because, you know, as long as it's in good faith, inshallah, we have the right intention, it's only going to be reward for everyone, inshallah ta'ala. So, mashallah. Jazakallah. Shaykh, you might as well just go ahead and plug the fundraiser now. So, support Yaqeen last <laughs> tonight. That's why you know you. Bismillah. We had a lengthy introduction today, but let's let's go ahead and get started. So we are now, even Khadija's like, get it over with. I'm getting tired in the back over here. Hurry up and get started. So uh, we are now, alhamdulillah, in Juz 25. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a good ending to this Ramadan. Allahumma ameen. And Juz 25 is Meccan Quran. It is still part of Fusilat. It goes into Surah Ashura, Zuhruf, uh, Dukhan, Jathia. Uh, it has um, the same theme as we've spoken about previously that emphasizes the afterlife and emphasizes the purpose of life. And it actually is the reason why some of the ulama mentioned that there is such a, a punishing tone from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, the Meccans in particular at this point, is because the people in Mecca were overtaken by a famine. 
And they asked the Prophet ﷺ, because this was sort of in the middle stage of his Meccan da'wah, uh, if he truly is a prophet, to pray to Allah that Allah lift the famine. And so the Prophet ﷺ, after being requested of that, and he made the dua that the famine be lifted, and it was lifted on the people of Mecca, they simply increased in their tughyan, they increased in their rebelliousness towards Allah and in their oppression of the Prophet ﷺ. So it was uh, sent down, Surah Zuhruf in particular, the ulama say, was sent down in response to that, and uh, the three surahs that come together, Dukhan and Al-Jathiyah, sent down in the same, uh, in the same sequence as an answer to the du'a of the Prophet ﷺ, or an answer to the du'a of the Prophet ﷺ being answered, which was a clear sign of his prophethood, and hence a, a very harsh revelation of, of much warning uh, to the people. However, there's one theme I'm going to spend a little bit of time on, inshallah ta'ala, and inshallah I'm going to keep my part short because we had, alhamdulillah, we have Sister Sara and we have Sheikh Abdullah, of course, and the introduction was a little longer uh, today. But it's actually just one theme I want you to isolate, inshallah ta'ala, and pay attention that really does fit the seerah of the Prophet and is one of the most relevant issues of our time. And that is the theme of envy and jealousy. Uh, envy and jealousy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in verse 31, They said, how come this Qur'an was not sent to one of the two great men of the two great cities? And this is, as the Mufassirun mentioned, you know, هَلَّا نَزَلَ عَلَى الْوَلِيدِ بْنِ الْمُغِيرَةِ مِنْ أَهْلِ مَكَّةِ أَوْ حَبِيبِ بْنُ عَمْرِ الثَّقَفِي مِنْ أَهْلِ الطَّائِفِ Had this Qur'an been revealed to الْوَلِيدِ بْنِ الْمُغِيرَةِ which Shaykh Omar Hussain, we talked about Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So had this been revealed on الْوَلِيدِ بْنِ الْمُغِيرَةِ of Mecca or of Habib ibn Amr of Ta'if, we would have been okay. But why him, right? And so the the envy that they had of the Prophet being at the root of this at some point that as they were considering this message and understanding the merits of this message, but fine, why him? Why did Allah choose him? Had Allah chosen one of us, maybe we would not have had this type of a resistance to the message. So you found the jealousy of Abu Jahl with his tribe uh, of Banu Makhzum and um, and uh, and by the way, Al-Walid bin Mughira is also from the same tribe uh, as Abu Jahl. So you have the jealousy of the tribe against Banu Hashim, right? Banu Hashim can't produce a, pro a prophet, and then we're left behind. Uh, and then you have the individual jealousy, like I should have been the leader. I should have been the one to be a prophet. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do you get to distribute the mercy of your Lord? Do you get to distribute the revelation? You don't make those types of decisions. So the arrogance that was produced by that envy and that produced a rebelliousness and an opposition to what they knew of being the truth. And subhanAllah, they could have been people of Jannah. They could have been companions of the Prophet ﷺ and competed with other companions in khair, in good. But instead, because of their envy, what ended up happening to them? They ended up losing out on being Sahaba and they ended up in the process being uh, complete losers, right? Complete losers in this life and in the hereafter. And there is a parallel, before I get to the other seerah implication of that, to the shaitan, to Iblis. Iblis's objection to why Adam ﷺ over me? Iblis was already elevated above the rest of the jinn. So in his rank, in his rank, uh, and in his in his area where he could have uh, excelled, he excelled to the maximum of rising above the jinn to even be in the company of the angels. But subhanAllah, uh, he his envy drove him to what? His pride, his envy drove him to what? 
to become an enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to become the worst enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Had Iblis done sajda to Adam alayhi salam, he would have maintained his rank and he would have even ascended in his rank because it would have been another sign of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we see what happened to him as a result of that. So the topic of envy uh, comes up here and particularly their degrading of the Prophet and what that led them to. Now, the really interesting thing, subhanAllah, is the, uh, the other side of this, and I'm actually going to end with this, inshallah, just share this ayah, and then we'll move on, because I'm really excited, or two more ayahs, inshallah, really excited to hear the the, uh, the input. But Allah says in Surah Ash-Shura, same juz, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدَرٍ مَا يَشَاءِ إِنَّهُ بِعِبَادِهِ خَبِيرٌ بَصِيرٌ if Allah were to grant ample wealth to his servants, they might go about, they may go about transgressing in the land, but instead he sends down in proportion whatever he wills of his sustenance. And surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well acquainted and all seeing. He's well aware, he's khabir and he's basir. He's all seeing when it comes to the matters that relate to his servants and otherwise. And Khabab ibn al-Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhu says this verse was revealed about us, the poor Muslims, who looked at the wealth of some of the disbelievers in Medina, Banu Quraida, uh, being you know one of the tribes there, the, the wealthy tribes there in Mecca, looking to some of the, the rich of, of some of the tribes like Banu Mahzum and others, but we were looking at some of those that had so much wealth and that can feel like an injustice, right? Like why does that person have so much good when they're such bad people? And why am I deprived when I am a good person, when I'm believing and following the path? And subhanAllah, this, this is according to Khabab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not a condemnation, but Allah knows where he puts his risala, where he puts his message, and Allah knows where he puts his money and his wealth, and Allah knows where he distributes power. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what he's doing, and he's well acquainted and well aware, and it is ultimately for our own good. And so the, the poor believers were comforted by that, and in fact, they sought out how to compete for good deeds, right? When they complained to the Prophet some about the rich Sahaba taking all of the good deeds in regards to their sadaqah. But at the same time, human beings, so sometimes, you know, that, that sense can overcome a person. Uh, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, finally, uh, responding to Abu Jahl, um, and this is also, um, you know, this is uh, now in Al-Jathiyah, verse 49, ذُقْ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْكَرِيمُ uh, taste this punishment. You are a person who is Aziz, who is Kareem, who is mighty and who is noble. Why did that ayah come down? SubhanAllah, one time the Prophet ﷺ met Abu Jahl and Abu Jahl uh, stops the Prophet ﷺ. He says, hey, you know, I am Al-Aziz Al-Kareem. SubhanAllah, look at the arrogance. You know, just stops the Prophet ﷺ and says, you know who I am? I'm the most powerful person on this earth. I am the one who is mighty. I am the one who is noble. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes him to be killed at Badr, humiliated, and he is reviled. He is uh, he is uh, admonished with his own words. SubhanAllah, his own words. Look, go ahead, taste the punishment of the fire. You are Al-Aziz Al-Kareem, aren't you? Uh, you are this person who says that you are mighty and noble. So SubhanAllah, the, the tie-in here of, of envy, right, is just very powerful. The envy of those without prophethood of the Prophet Wasallam and what that led to of their destruction, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforting the companions not to look to those or feel jealousy towards those who had wealth, but instead understand that the apportioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was perfect. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, uh, Sister Sara, if you have any uh, reflections, and then we'll move on to Shaykh Abdullah bin Nima. 
Jazakallah khairan for the beautiful reminder, mashallah. You know, a couple of thoughts came to mind as you were speaking about that. And the, the first one being like the understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is so essential when we're working on jealousy, right? Because jealousy is a very normal human emotion to struggle with that. Um, but knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most wise, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most just, and so that wherever he is spreading, you know, risk in whatever form it is, you know, looking at the risk in our own lives, not just materially, but also emotionally and socially and relationally and all of these things. And then, you know, realizing that goodness comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it often comes in forms that we don't recognize. And so we look at what we think is goodness in other people's lives and think about what's lacking in ours. And that's what amplifies jealousy. So really knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and knowing, you know, the the, the goodness um, that that uh, that He provides and the and the that He's the most just and the most wise really um, is is really tremendously powerful. Um, and then the other, you know, then the other thought that uh, that came to mind is something that a lot of people have been bringing up lately is the the jealousy that comes with social media consumption, right? And so just one thing to to keep in mind, especially with these last few days, is limiting our access to consumption that's going to yield jealous feelings within us because again natural human emotion but it's such a stealer of joy subhanallah and so just trying to be very careful about what we're taking in and are we looking at those like the prophet says like look at those uh below you in terms of like material material wealth um so that you don't belittle the blessings of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so you know are we are we reflecting on it that way and are we limiting our consumption of uh of media that might be yielding jealous feelings. Barakallah fiki. Excellent. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah. <coughs> Bismillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala amma ba'du. <coughs> so when mentioning that subhanallah, you know, the when talking about, you know, of those mushrikun that were very arrogant, you see Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab you know, and there's a chapter devoted to devoted speaking about him, you know, that he was very ridiculing of the Prophet in the message. That is because, you know, the people that did not worship Allah voluntarily disbelieved in him. They would look at the signs that Allah has put in front of them. But the response to those signs is that which was not befitting to them in this life and in the next life. And that's why even when speaking about jealousy and these emotions, they are natural that we may have them. But there is a level of responsibility that we as human beings have when that sign that we may see emanate from someone that could breed that jealousy, that natural response that we may have, what do we do with it? Do we allow it to continue on? And if it becomes a problem, do we seek the proper means in order to alleviate or relinquish uh, that ailment that may take place internally, whether it's psychologically, or spiritually, and even those intertwined within one another. So I want to talk about a verse in the Quran, and it's in the end of the chapter of Fusilat, and it's one of my favorite verses, subhanAllah, in regards to just reminding me of this the simplicity of the communication of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also the how it's complex at the same time. What do I mean by that? You know, last year, subhanAllah, Shaykh Yasser Fahmi, he mentioned, he talked about the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it was very, very profound because I like what he said that Allah speaks to you through his ayat. And he mentioned the statement of Al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to you through the wahi munazzal, 
but then he also speaks to you from that which is that which is in the Quran but also with these signs that which you see that which you see in front of you Allah is speaking to you Allah is speaking to you and telling you the, the manifestation or how his names and attributes are put forth in front of you so when you have a child one of the names amongst many of the names is Ar-Razaq one of the names amongst many of the names is Al-Hafid Ar-Razaq is the provider his provision will never be overpowered by anyone or anything else. When he wants it to happen, يقول, فيكون, right? When Jesus was born, we believe Jesus was born in the womb of, the, uh, of, of his mother Mary. And Allah said, be and it is. And Jesus was born. So when looking at this, all of these are signs. All of these are signs of the greatness of Allah from different aspects of, our, of, of his majesty and his greatness and his honor. These names and attributes, which are very, very beautiful that we should learn and should try to, to understand in our lives. And then also it's signs for us as human beings. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the beautiful verse, when he's speaking uh, to the Prophet sallallahu and he's telling him to tell the mushrikun, the people that voluntarily disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and did not acknowledge those signs as they should be acknowledged. He says after this is verse number 52. Allah says, say, have you considered if the Quran is from Allah and you disbelieved in it, would, who would be more astray than the one who is in extreme, extreme dissension? When you look at these signs and you realize that there is a creator, there is a maker, there is a sustainer, he has authority over everything. What's most important for the human being is that when you see these characteristics of God or you see the actions of God, of lordship, what response does that engender? What does it bring forth from you? And that is the level of responsibility for the human being. When you see and realize that what is beyond my capabilities has been given to me or that sustains me from the air, from the sun, all of these elements of creation within the ecosystems that we see is there for you, Abdullah. It's there to provide for you, to sustain you at the same time. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he told the Prophet to ask this question. If you think that this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you consider that this Quran is from Allah and you disbelieved in it, what do you think? What would happen? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on and he brings a, a, a beautiful verse, subhanAllah. After those that disbelieved, after seeing those, the Abu Lahabs, the Abu Jahls, right? After seeing those signs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you voluntarily disbelieved in that, you have it in your heart, but you didn't make a choice because of something that you wanted to obtain and maintain within your status, your reputation. That was much more beneficial to you, aspects of the dunya. And this is why Allah speaks about the dunya so many times in the Quran, of this worldly mesmerizing life. It is ghurur, it is deceitful, it is has full of deception. Allah says after that, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ Allah says here, we will surely show them our signs. We will show them our signs in two things. And afaq is like the horizons or anything that some scholars mention that takes place within the, the cosmos, within our element. The cosmos, you know, afaq, as they say, is you could say it's horizons, but when we say anything that the horizon captures or what we can see within our within ourselves and outside of ourselves, 
particularly outside of ourselves, some scholars mention in this case. So when looking at the horizon, we look at the sun and we see how it, it rises and we see how it declines. We see what takes place on the earth. And that's why some of the scholars, they say that they talk about, uh, some scholars say that it was uh, uh, the conquests of, of the different areas around Mecca. And in yourselves was the conquest of Mecca. Some scholars say it was Badr. But in any case, if we wanted to generalize it, we say everything external, everything outside of you is the Al-Falq. So looking at everything that takes place, as was mentioned, the ecosystems, how the seasons change, and you have no ultimate control over it. But it's going to happen beyond your control and beyond whatever you wish and whatever you want. It's going to take place. There has to be an ultimate maker for it. There has to be a sonnet. There has to be a creator. There has to be a sustainer. That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says, we're going to continuously show them our signs. And then in your own selves. And when we talk about yourselves, many of us may think of the anatomy and the physiology. You know, the organs in your body, your eyes, and then the, what, the, what does that organ do? But it's much more than that. As you see, mashallah, we have a therapist with us today. You know, psych psychologically, what takes place in your heart? How does that affect your mind? You know, these things that take place from the intangible aspects of our physical self, Allah is telling you to ponder over that as well. Ponder over all of these things. And that's why Allah is saying we're going to show them all of this over and over and over again until the truth comes clear to them. And that truth, some scholars say, the Prophet ﷺ, the Quran, Islam, the meaning is one. It is, as they say, it is something that is maybe different in way, way understand it, but it's all generally the same thing. Meaning that this truth of Islam, the truth of Allah being one, the truth of him being the ultimate creator and acknowledging what the creator has brought in front of you should bring forth something in yourself. If you have that feeling, just as I did before I became a Muslim, I had those questions. Is this really the right thing to do? I see all these signs in front of me and I know it has a deity, but my responsibility, have I fulfilled that ultimate responsibility, which was for me to acknowledge him in my life and acknowledge the Prophet So this is the ultimate call that was being given to those polytheists at that time. But in general, it's for all of creation to remember these signs and to answer that communication that Allah is giving you through these signs. And as a result, in gratitude and in shukr and thankfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to him and to all of creation. Allah knows best. Jazakallah khair, beautiful reflections. Uh, Sister Salat Fadlin. Jazakallah khairan for, for that uh, beautiful reflection. Sheikh Abdullah, I think it ties so beautifully into what I'm hoping to, to discuss. You know, subhanAllah, the idea of being able to embrace and accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the one true deity, as the source of truth, as the one stable entity in our lives is at the core of, uh, of what I'm hoping to discuss today, um, which is, you know, that sometimes we struggle to embrace and accept the truth. Sometimes there are pieces of ourselves, you know, like Sheikh Amr was discussing jealousy. Sometimes there are pieces of us that struggle, our egos, our desires for temporary uh, gratification. And so I wanted to talk about uh, the verse in, um, uh, in Surah Al-Jathiyah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, have you seen to the Prophet those who have taken their own desires as their God? 
And so Allah left them to stray knowingly, sealed their hearing and hearts and placed a cover on their sight. Who then can guide them after Allah? Will you all not then be mindful? Right. And so, you know, this, I wanted to focus on this first part of this, uh, this incredible verse, you know, excuse me. And so, um, you know, this idea of have you seen those who have taken their own desires as their God? And so when we ask ourselves the idea of, you know, what's more important? in our own lives, is it that we prioritize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or that we prioritize our wants and desires? If we were to ask any of ourselves this, you know, we would we would say that we prioritize Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is first and foremost. But a lot of times our actions can really struggle to catch up with that value, with that prioritization. And so I know that, you know, during Ramadan, we all hope for this sense of upliftment, right? Um, this spiritual, emotional upliftment as we strive to increase our worship during this month. But what about when that doesn't happen, right? What happens when it's really hard? What happens when we just don't feel it? Um, when worship feels like a mountain that has to be climbed rather than a path that's filled with serenity? Most of our wants are typically neutral. They're not positive or negative, right? But what happens when our desires don't align with what's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa and this is a struggle that every single one of us faces. And we face it very often, and that's okay, right? We're not held accountable, alhamdulillah, for our feelings, right? We're held accountable for our actions. And that's why the reward for not choosing to take our wants as gods for us is so incredible, right? Um, in Surah Al-Nazi'at, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that as for those who were in awe of standing before their Lord and restrain themselves from evil desires, paradise will certainly be their home, right? And so this idea of being able to restrain ourselves from our evil desires, of being able to, um, to control our actions despite, these are desires, which means that we naturally feel the want. The feeling is fine, but what we do with it will determine things, right? And so feeling something, having that desire, is not the same as acting upon it. And so that, that feeling of something, wanting something and not acting upon it can actually be a path toward Jannah for us. Because when we do that, we are choosing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's standard over our own. We're proclaiming that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our, our, our Rabb, right? That he's our Lord, that he is Al-Khaliq, that he is our creator, that he is Al-Alim, that he's the one who knows everything and we don't that he is Al-Hadi, the one who guides us and leads us to the right path, that he is Al-Haq, right? The one who is the truth, the one whose essence is wisdom, justice, and rightness, right? And so with this mindset, we can acknowledge that sometimes when we want something, right? Sometimes even when that thing feels right, that our emotions are not facts, right? And this is why the Prophet Muhammad used to always repeat this dua, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik, right? We're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O turner of hearts, keep my heart firm on your, on your religion, on your faith, right? And so our, our emotions, they play an important role in our lives. It's important to pay attention to them, right? They're signals, but they are not decision makers. Emotions are transient. They change constantly. But what is not transient, <clears throat> excuse me, but what is not transient, what is always permanent, what is always stable, 
is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, is the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's his promise, his truth, and the commands that he has given us, right? So, so how do we do this? How do we, when we are struggling, how do we push through when our feelings are not aligned with what we know to be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when our desires are not aligned with that? And so there are three factors that I think are really important for us to consider. The first is reminding ourselves of our purpose and our values. The second is knowing for certain, having that certainty that the long-term benefit of doing this, of worshiping Allah, of choosing sometimes what's the harder path, knowing that the long-term benefit that comes with it is the best for us, right? Because it's much easier to choose what's best for us when we're fully certain that goodness is coming. And then the third is learning to sit with discomfort. And this is such an important skill and one that we don't often hone. Right? As human beings, we naturally try to escape discomfort, right? But most things that are worthwhile are not easy, right? Whether it's choosing a healthy meal over one that looks more appealing, choosing to work out when you're not feeling it, waking up for fetch when you're exhausted, apologizing to someone you've wronged, learning a new skill. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of all of these things that are really worthwhile in our lives, but take effort and that are a lot of times difficult and a lot of times something that we don't necessarily feel inclined to do, right? which is why sometimes our feelings are, you know, that's not our decision maker, right? And so for our purpose and value, you know, asking ourselves, are you living your purpose? Are you living your values, right? Because we live in a world that constantly presses us to make decisions that are not our own, right? And authenticity is like this collection of choices that we have to make every single day to live our values and our purpose. And when we don't do that, what happens is something called cognitive dissonance, which is when your values don't align with your actions, you feel a sense of discomfort. You feel anxiety, you feel sadness, you feel that, that pit in your stomach, right? And so when you're confronted with situations that contradict your beliefs and your ideals, then what we do as human beings is we try to find a way to resolve the contradiction, to get away from that sense of discomfort. And so when our wants or our actions or our desires contradict our faith, then how do we deal with that? We either change the behavior or we change the values, right? And so a lot of times the easier path is to, you know, just change your values, right? Just, just let go of the things that we know to be important. Because in that moment, that instant gratification of alleviating that negative feeling, that discomfort feels better. But if we choose to prioritize our values, right, and that comes with the second step of like knowing that goodness is coming, right, we seek this sense of upliftment in our worship, like I was saying, you know, and it's something that we all want to attain, but it's really important to realize that that is not the ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is the, is the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hoping to see the, to, to see the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I ask that Everybody, you know, here and listening has that opportunity, Allahumma ameen, right? But the ultimate goal is submission to Allah, even when it's hard, right? Especially when it's hard. And so being able to truly trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who knows what's best for us, that our perception of reality is limited, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees every single facet, right? That societal standards of happiness and living your best life and, and things like that, that those things are constantly changing. 
but that the true freedom, true filling of that void and yearning that we all have within us is on holding on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is constantly stable, even when we don't feel it in the moment. And even when our perception of what's best for us differs from what we know truly to be what's best for us in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Because we've all probably made those decisions sometimes that we've regretted, right? They felt right in the moment, right? But in the end, we regretted them. But worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that will never lead to a sense of regret because it's dictated by the one who knows everything, right? We all have these things that we want, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us what we need. Right? And so the final point that I that I wanted to, to, to talk about with regards to, to this ayah about being able to manage our desires rather than being from amongst those who take their desires as their God, right? Is um, about discomfort and sitting with the fact that, okay, I want this, I want to do this. This instant gratification is so difficult to resist. How do I resist it, right? And I once heard a story shared by um, a rabbi about uh, lobsters and how lobsters are um, very soft animals, but they live inside a rigid shell. And as they grow, the shell remains the same. And so they become very uncomfortable. They find the shell very confining. And so they cast off their shell and they produce a new one. And so, you know, the what happens to this lobster is its signal for growth was discomfort. And that's something that's really important for us to realize is a lot of times moments of discomfort and challenges are also times of growth. And they are opportunities for us to growth, to, to grow. Discomfort isn't necessarily negative. It can actually be something positive depending on how we push forward and whether we are pushing forward toward our true purpose. And so I wanna leave you with two final tips, practical tips about how to help us sit with this discomfort. And the first one is to realize that distress, discomfort, pain, it's, it's all temporary, right? But the joy of choosing the hereafter is everlasting. Right, and so if we think about the example of hunger, which is very appropriate for for Ramadan, you know, it's a very powerful example because, you know, you can get very hungry, and you've all probably experienced this. This uh, anybody who is able to to fast, that if you can't get to food for a while, you know, the hunger doesn't continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. At some point through the day, like it gets really hard, and then all of a sudden it kind of plateaus, right? And then it might even start to go down discomfort is the same right tolerating and when you're working towards something worthwhile when you're doing something hard it's important to realize that discomfort doesn't last forever this pain emotional pain physical pain any type of pain it doesn't last forever right and so we remind ourselves that you know the struggle is temporary but the reward is eternal um, and then there's a, a a powerful exercise that i wanted to to end with which is um, something used in therapy for tolerating, tolerating discomfort, um, which is uh, using imagery. So I want you to think of something that you might be struggling with that you know would really be the best for you to begin working on, that it might be hard, it might be uncomfortable, right? It might be if you're trying to pray your prayers this month, if you're trying to wear hijab, if you're trying to be patient with someone in your life or trying to give up a negative habit, 
whatever way you're striving to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you're really struggling with it, just put that in your mind. And then using imagery, right? Whenever it's time to do that thing, to pray, to walk out of your house in hijab, to not yell when you're frustrated, etc. right? Walk yourself through imagining something really profound, right? And I'm going to go through it just in, uh, in a second, right? Because it triggers a different response in your mind, your brain um, and, your, and your body, right? And you can choose any visualization you'd like, but I'm choosing one based on a saying by Ibn Abbas عنه, where he said that verily good deeds bring brightness upon the face, a light in the heart, an expanse of provision, strength in the body, and love in the hearts of the creation. And so whenever you're picturing yourself, doing this act of worship that you're really battling within yourself, that's really, really hard, right? When you notice yourself battling these wants and you are reminding yourself that you are choosing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your God and not your desires, picture yourself engaging in this act of worship that you're striving toward. And while you're picturing yourself engaging in this act of worship, imagine the light radiating from your face. Imagine your heart being showered with light. Imagine the strength entering your body. Picture the angel on your right shoulder actively writing down every single deed and knowing that this deed is being multiplied tremendously as you engage in this and as you strive toward this, right? And see how this shifts your ability to work toward this goal, inshallah. Um, and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from amongst those who are able to, to live our values through our words and actions who are guided toward a path that brings us closer to him um, and to align what's pleasing to us with what's pleasing to him. Inshallah, Allahumma ameen. Ameen, ameen. Jazakumullah khair. SubhanAllah, very powerful exercise. Khadija loves it. She's like, this is great. <laughs> Even as a two-year-old, she's like, I can get this. I can get on board with this. Uh, but the verse um, is verse 23 from Surah Al-Jathiyah, uh, which you just covered. And I think, SubhanAllah, um, you know, it actually fits that we were talking about, we started off talking about people who were seeing the, the divine through their desires and not the opposite, right? Like, so they wanted the divine to acquiesce to their desires. So I will appreciate the religion as long as it gives me what I want. And then here you're seeing, subhanAllah, like Allah calling it out for what it is. So wait, you want the religion to follow your desires. So then your God is your desires. It's not... It's not the idol. It's what the idol gives you access to. It's not what, what else you're worshiping beside Allah. It is what that gives you access to of your desires to dictate your own terms on God and how you want to live um, in that regard. And subhanAllah, Surah Al-Jathiyah is people being brought to their knees, literally, on the Day of Judgment. Uh, enforced submission, right? Like all that they oppressed and rebelled and, you know, like, okay, now you're brought to your knees. Um and the believer is brought to their knees in submission in this life instead. And in that verse, it was, you know, you were talking about imagery. What does Allah say right after Allah mentions the sealing of the hearts, the sealing of the eyes, the sealing of the ears, and just go about in your, your astray ways, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets them in their astray ways. And then the opposite of that, which you were talking about, the empowerment of submission, that a person feels the expanse in submission not suffocated in submission, but liberated and, and expanded um, in submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So jazakumullah khair for those beautiful reflections. And inshallah ta'ala, we're at time. So I'm going to go ahead and close it off for the, for everyone else. But uh, Sister Sada is going to um, help me and Sheikh Abdullah get over our uh, our, our, our beef. Um, 
so that we can we can end Ramadan strong with each other, inshallah. But we, we appreciate you, Sister Sara, and Sheikh Abdullah, as always, and the ASL interpreter, as always. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and bless all the volunteers and those behind the scenes and bless all the participants. Reminder to everyone, please tune in, inshallah ta'ala, uh, to the nightly du'a now that Sheikh Suleiman Hani is doing. Uh, so we have like the nightly reflection at 1 a.m. Uh, Central Time, then Sheikh Suleiman Hani's at 2.30 a.m. Central, I believe, 3.30 a.m. I might be mixing up times at this point, but tune in, inshallah, to engage in these last 10 nights with the night time, all that we have with the regular programming. And please do go to yaqeenistuth.org slash Ramadan, and please do consider uh, donating to Yaqeen in these last 10 nights as well. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi The mission of the Prophet was to impart knowledge, to speak truth and dispel falsehood, to bring hope in times of darkness, to build a confident people, to bring us together with compassion and in strength, and most of all, to instill everlasting faith in every aspect of our lives so that we can have stronger conviction, fuller hearts, and a well-defined purpose. This is what motivates us every day to inspire a world of faithful change makers who serve as ambassadors of the Prophet And as Yaqeen strives to build on the final prophetic mission, we invite you to join us in these final 10 nights in realizing that goal.